This is Tani Talks Radio, the share where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. This share should be in the merit of the safe and healthy return of all of the captives, all of the captives, for the refuah of all of the injured and sick, and for the safety and protection and success of all of the soldiers and all of our brothers and sisters. We're going to talk a little bit about hindsight versus foresight. Talking about the ideas in life, we look back and we think that oftentimes hindsight is twenty-twenty, and sometimes we don't think about foresight, but the Gemara talks to us and tells us, in Perkei Avos, first of all, it tells us, Ezehu Chacham, Halomein Mikol Adam, or Mikol Ha'adam, some sources say, who is the smart person? Who is the wise person? The person that learns from everybody, that learns that, the person that learns from the, the whole person, or the whole of another person. And another, another source says in the Gemara, Ezehu Chacham Haroe Es Anola, and we're gonna look at that in a bit. Who is a smart person? Someone who foresees the consequences of their actions, that's gonna come up, but that's the idea to think about hindsight, versus foresight, how we could think about our future, what we could do with our time, with our capabilities, and our lives. How often do you feel like you you could have predicted something? How often do you look back and think, yes, I knew that would happen? How often do you read a book predicting what could happen? Or you run to the last page, which ruins the whole book. I don't know. I try not to do that. Some people do that. And you see how many pages are on the end. Or a TV show or movie thinking how it will end. I know how it's going to end. And when, when it does, saying to yourself, I knew it from the start. This is what in psychology they call the hindsight bias. And they say... That hindsight is really twenty twenty, but is that really so? It's a principle that was taught to me in undergrad as a psych major, major that I found fascinating in YU. Wikipedia explains hindsight bias, also known as the new it all along phenomenon or creeping determinism, is the common tendency for people to perceive past events as having been more predictable than they actually were. People often believe that after an event has started, they would have predicted or perhaps even would have known with a higher degree of certainty what the outcome of the event would have been before the event occurred. Hindsight bias may cause distortions of memories of what was known or believed before an event occurred and is a significant source of overconfidence regarding an individual's ability to predict the outcomes of future events. Examples of hindsight bias can be seen in the writings of historians describing outcomes of battles, physicians recalling clinical trials, and in judicial systems as individuals attribute responsibility on the basis of the supposed predictability of accidents. Very well mind explains, after an event, people often believe that they knew the outcome of the event before it actually happened. This is why it is often referred to as the I-knew-it-all-along phenomenon. The hindsight bias involves the tendency people have to assume that they knew the outcome of an event after the outcome has already been determined. So hindsight bias is a belief that we could have predicted something, but too often, unfortunately way too often, we look back wishing and regretting and having the rose 2020 vision colored glasses looking to the past. If only we had the ability to think ahead or foresee things for the future, how better things would be if we just would plan out things and prepare for the future. This is the power of the idea of foresight versus the sad looking back of what is seen as hindsight. The Gemara points out, as we mentioned a minute ago, in the Talmud it says, 
Ezehu Chacham Haroa Esanolan in in the Talmud it talks to us that Alexander the Great asks the Jewish sages of the South. I see here that it's on a thirty-two A, but I forget which Masechta. It might be in Talmud Talmud Lamed Lamed Bet Talmud thirty-two. Alexander the Great asks the the Jewish sages of the South, "Who is called a wise man?" And they responded to him, "The person who sees the consequence." Of their action, the Mefarish explains, "Haroa es anola hamaven melibo masha asid lehios koros shasidim lavo veniza hair mehu." A person should think in his heart what might happen in the future, and be careful and prepare for it. As opposed to or in partnership, as we mentioned also in Pirkei Avos four one, very famous Mishnah, Ben Zomer Omer, Ezehu Chacham Halomid Mikol Adam or Ha Adam. Ben Zomer says, "Who is wise? He who learns from every man or from the whole aspect of the man, the whole aspect of the person." As it says, "From all who taught me, Mikol Malamdai into Hilam Hiskalti Ki Edosecha Sichali." From all who taught me, have I gained understanding? So it seems that the two ways of what a wise person is called to the Gemara versus the Perkei are actually linked and intertwined. If you learn from everyone, you can learn how to foresee the future or consequences of your action before you do something especially detrimental. If you learn from the failures and mistakes of those around you, as well as the things that work for those around you, you really could foresee what could work in the future. Think twice before you speak and, three and think three times before you act. Hence, a very Jewish trait is that of foresight, as the Gemara above explains. A really smart person thinks ahead of what he may need or what might happen. Hindsight, on the other hand, is not always so helpful, unless we use it to learn from past mistakes or use it to help us better serve Hashem and do good for the world and those around us. H points out with author Nisanal Yoel Safran, foresight is the ability to look ahead and make wise decisions that will affect your future. In the Torah portion that focuses on Yosef, our ancestor Yosef uses his foresight to help Harl and the Egyptians, the Mitzram, to store up enough food to survive a great famine and to actually you know, provide food for the whole world, including Eretz Yisrael and, and his brothers and families and his, his dad, we can use our foresight as well as a tool to save ourselves from a lot of problems. When I think of foresight, among many other examples, I think of the great Rabbi Meir Shapiro, founder of the Daf Yomi movement, which, you know, is finishing different masechtas in throughout the time of the seven-and-a-half-year cycle, and it is a wonderful, wonderful movement that he began. Wikipedia itself, Lahavdal Lahavdal explains Yehuda Meir Shapiro, March 3rd, 1887 to October 27, 1933, his lifespan was a prominent Polish Hasidic rabbi and Rosh Yeshiva, also known as the Lubliner Rav. He is noted for his promotion of the Dafyomi study program in 1923. A hundred years now later, in 2023, fascinating that's now the hundred year mark later, how, how many people learned, how many people were parts of many different cycles to his credit, all these spiritual children of him, and also establishing the Chachmei Lublin Yeshiva in 1930. During the years 1922 to 1927, Rabbi Shapiro was the first Orthodox Jew to become a member in the Sejim Parliament of the Second Polish Republic, representing the Jewish minority of the country. 
Rabbi Shapiro introduced the revolutionary idea of Daf Yomi, the page of the day, or the daily folio, a daily regimen undertaken to study the Babylonian Talmud, the Talmud Babli, one folio. A Daf consists of both sides of a page each day. Under this regimen, the entire Talmud is completed one day at a time, never missing a day, and if you do, catch up, in a cycle of seven and a half years. Rabbi Shapiro introduced his idea at the First World Congress of the World Aguda Thistral in Vienna on August 16th, 1923. So it's literally been a year plus a few months, give or take. The first cycle of Dafyomi commenced on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, 5684, September 11th, 1923. So... Now it's really officially a, a year plus a month and a half or so. Now in its fourteenth cycle, now in its you know in a later cycle, even more than fourteenth cycle, Dafyomi has been taken up by tens of thousands of Jews worldwide, and even in the the current difficult situation, one of the most beautiful ideas, besides for the talis and the tefillin, besides for the kippahs being given out, the tzitzis given out, a really nice initiative by Rabbi Shai and Rabbi Art School was to give out Dafyomis of the last twenty. Folios, the last 20 pages of Masechus Kedushin, which we're finishing up in just a few days. Before we go to Baba Kama, hopefully they give Baba Kama too. And it also has a Mishaberach Lechayatzel, it has some Tehillim, it also has Tefil Sederach. A beautiful thing, they gave out 20,000 Gemaras so that different people serving on the front lines to protect our brothers and sisters in Israel and of the world at large. How many people do Dafyomi? How many people do Dafyomi? And if you don't, it's a very hard thing to do. I wasn't able to join for quite a while. Not till maybe nine or ten or so years ago, but a beautiful, beautiful concept by Rabbi Shapiro to have the foresight to think of such a brainchild, to have the foresight to think of such an idea. We don't have to be so grandiose to have foresight. We can have some small idea of something we want to write, something we want to publish, something we want to do, want to make a show, want to make a video, any little thing, a tiny, tiny, tiny level of havdil. You can have the foresight to think how it could affect the Jewish world, how it could affect the Jewish people, all these wonderful initiatives to help our brethren in here in fall 2023 during the major war of Israel against Hamas to take out the evil evil after what they did to us on October 7th. Small ideas really become grandiose ideas, making sure that everybody has sitzes and talas and tefillin and making sure they have the gemaras and making sure they have the supplies they need, the food they need, the medicine they need, everything, you know, making letters for the soldiers, davening for the soldiers, praying for the soldiers, having rallies, beautiful, beautiful things. Everything we could do can have a tremendous effect and to have the foresight to think what they may need or what they require is also a wonderful thing especially at this time. So when we think of Rabbi Shapiro, who had the foresight, what an unbelievable foresight to think of a movement that could accomplish so much learning for so many people to finish the whole Talmud Bavli one page at a time in less than eight years. There's also the Talmud Yerushalmi Dafyomi. I tried it for a couple of months, fell off that bandwagon of that train, wasn't able to keep up two at a time, but still trying to accumulate those Gemaras to have a full set one day by itself, little, little by little, but it's also a wonderful thing that people who do the Yerushalmi one page at a time, they have the folio edition as well. But that's like five and a half years because the Yerushalmi was compiled differently by Rabbi Yochanan in Eretz Yisrael versus Talmud Bavli, which was compiled by Ravina Ravashi in Galus. One page at a time was Rabbi Shapiro's idea in less than eight years. Amazing. 
you could think about the other movements and the other people who had these great, great, great ideas, the art school movement and Feldheim and other Jewish publishers who saw the need and the yearning for spiritual Jewish books with core values, even with Jewish novels in different genres, thinking about the idea how to bring Judaism for the masses to reach many people. It wasn't always a known thing. You know, art school, Feldheim, these companies weren't always around. I think art school came around in maybe the 60s or the 70s, 1960s or 70s, and they had such a tremendous effect growing up for me and people beyond younger than me only know from art school but people older than me didn't always have art school didn't always have these ideas might sound starting a small idea but really a big impact a really wonderful thing and you could think about even jewish music labels who brought about jewish music to the masses as well if you could learn to look back with hindsight at what is missing in life you can use foresight to the future to see how to bring about innovation and affect others for good for the future listen to this story that I believe came from Aish.com. In this story, a couple of kids discover how looking ahead can help keep them ahead of the game. Thwop, thwop, thwop. Scott barely managed to control the bike he was riding as the air rushed out of his nail-punctured tire. Oh, rats, he yelled out. A flat tire in the middle of nowhere. He and his buddy Jay had set out that morning on an all-day bike trip around Crystal Lake, and now a fun day had just turned into a disaster. This most likely was written by Nassandriel Safran, who wrote beautiful, beautiful kids' stories. Scott kneeled down to check out the damage. It looked pretty bad. Hey, are you okay? asked Jay, who had been a little ahead of him and had doubled back when he heard his friend's tire pop. I'm okay, but the tire's totally flat, and I didn't bring a repair kit and pump, he said, shaking his head. Sadly, now our trip's ruined. It's going to take me forever to walk the bike back home. Why walk it, Jay smiled. He turned to his bike pack and pulled out a pump, an inner tube, and a flat repair kit. Here's everything you need to be back on the road in no time. After fixing the tire, the guys decided to break for lunch, since they'd stopped anyway and there was a pretty clearing nearby. Jay took out his sandwich and started eating as Scott stared into his lunch bag and frowned. What's the matter, Jay asked. I brought a roll of can of tuna for lunch, so unfortunately I didn't bring a can opener. He'd hardly gotten the words out of his mouth when Jay dipped into his lunch kit and pulled out a shiny, compact can opener. Here, he said, handing it to his friend. Thanks, but what are you doing with one of these? You don't even have any cans with your lunch. Yeah, well, you never know. I figured we might stop at a store, buy canned stuff, or whatever. They soon got going again and were really enjoying the beautiful lakeside scenery when it started to rain. Jay stayed dry beneath the plastic rain poncho he had packed while Scott got soaked until they rode out of range of the downpour. A couple of more hours passed. Jay looked up at the sky and said, It'll be dark real soon. We should pack out of here and head home, huh? Yes, Scott agreed, but can I ask you something first? Sure. I don't get it. All day when everything came up, we didn't expect, like, the rainstorm, my flat tire, or needing a can opener. You seemed to always be on top of things and ready for it, and I wasn't. How come? Jay said, It's because I learned to put my head, my mind headlights on. Huh? What headlights do, Jay? Explain as he flipped his bike headlights on to get ready to ride is that they light up the way in front of you so you can see where you're going, right? Yes, yeah, so, so I try to use my mind that way and think about what might be coming up and what I'm going to need to deal with it. My dad calls it foresight. Get it? I think so. Like on a bike trip, you might get a flat or it might rain, so you use your headlights to prepare in advance, right? You got it. Now let's go, and you want to ride in the front for now. Scott shook his head. I think you better ride in front the whole way home. Why? Well, Scott smiled. We I really like your idea of being mine headlights, and for now, and I plan to turn, think that way and use mine headlights too, but this time I didn't. I forgot to change the broken bulb in my bike headlight. So unless you go first, I won't be able to see the road. 
My only question on the story is how come the friend packed everything except an extra poncho? I guess he thought that one poncho, because his friend would have brought a poncho, but regardless, very interesting, nice story, but thinking ahead and planning ahead. In life also, we need to think ahead as to what we may need or want on an everyday basis, even on a simple or not so simple bike trip. Think back to what did not work on different trips and think ahead what you may need or want. When we plan ahead, when we think about what we need or what we want, we will not be lacking. When we've taken our kids on different family trips, and it's not a vocation, it's a relocation, not a vacation, a relocation. A vacation is leaving the kids behind. A relocation is going with them somewhere else. We try to think of different things that we may need, including clues, clothing, food, food, Pots and pans and bedding, etc. It's better to have more than less to be overprepared than underprepared. You can also compare and contrast. For example, going on one trip, in hindsight, it was not so great to rent a tiny, tiny space without a washer dryer. That was very difficult for me. When you have little kids, Baruch Hashem, it's very difficult to anticipate how much clothing you may need. And when this gets dirty and this gets dirty, and you know, you end up packing for two days, you have to pack for four days. And if you pack for four days, you got to pack for eight days, and that's just too much to schlep. So, in hindsight, not to go even a few days or a week or so without a washer dryer, not good. Crazy decision. Next time you go, think about if you're going to rent a little space, if you could get a washer dryer and then you could pack half as much and you could always wash stuff if it gets dirty. And that is exactly what we did next time. You go away, even if it's a tiny space, have a washer dryer. You could always do a wash each day to make sure you have a small idea to have some foresight. Rabbi Zach's Zatzal, Allah Vashalom, points out on H.com, We live life forward, but we see the role of providence in our lives only looking back. Almost every line he ever said, Allah Vashalom, was always brilliant, always packed a punch. So I'm going to read it again. We live life forward, but we see the role of providence of Hashem in our lives only looking back. That is the meaning of Hashem's words to Moshe. You will see my back. After the Bnei Yisrael sin, and Hashem and Moshe, you know, davens for them to be forgiven, and then Moshe pushes further. Please show me your ways. And Hashem says, you can't see my front. No one can see my front and live, whatever that means. But you can see my back. Again, we don't know what that means, but meaning, on some level, you will only see me when you look back, when you look in in. In hindsight, you'll only see it. In the story of Yosef, every episode that seems to be leading to tragedy turns out in retrospect to be a necessary step to saving lives and the fulfillment of Yosef's dreams. Judaism is the opposite of tragedy. Even though people want to kill us, we sing in the song, Every single generation, they want to destroy us. They want to break us down. Even in the current situation, the current very, very difficult times, that's what Hamas and the terrible evil around the world, even the people supporting them who are also just as evil on some level, they want to destroy us. They want to break us down. They want us gone. Because on some level, they can't handle what a Jewish person represents, what we stand for, the pintaliyad, the, the standing for the consciousness of Hashem and bringing morality and goodness to the world. We're the opposite of that. Look at the beautiful, beautiful response of the world Jewry. Even though it was a tremendous tragedy, hundreds of hundreds of people, thousands of people destroyed. But the response, the Judaism response, is light, is peace, coming together, unity, beautiful. It should last forever with the coming of Mashiach and the building of the third base. I mean, just speedily in our days, may it be today. But Judaism is the opposite of a tragedy. It tells us that every bad fate 
which now are from such things, can be averted. Hence, our prayers are davenings on the high holy days, which we had just a couple of weeks ago, that we talk about tshuva, tefillah, tzedakah, ma'averness, rawah ha'gzeram, while every positive promise made by Hashem will never be undone. Hashem tells us, and just recently in the parsha, look at the sand, look at the stars, and you can't count them, so too you can't count the Jewish people. And, and the commentators always ask, why talk about the sand versus the stars? Why both? Because if if the Jewish people are united and they're together, and they're taking care of one another, like we see now, beautiful, beautiful unity, should always last, we're going to be like the stars which are untouchable. But if there's divisiveness and not caring for one another, then there could be that we're trampled on by our enemies like the sand. We should be zochot to always be like the stars and not have to really feel the difficulty of the sand. So we hope that only the positive in Hashem talks to Avram literally in these parshios that this land is your land from the from this to this to that to that. This is your land. It will always be your land and the Jewish people will always be around. For all of us and beyond to the end of history and to the coming of Mashiach where Hashem talks about these positive promises. So think about the life-changing idea that despair is never justified. Even if your life or a person's life has been scarred by misfortune, lacerated by pain like so many people now in the current situation, and your chances of happiness seem gone forever, there is always still hope. Even in the darkness, when you light a candle, there is still brightness in the darkness, which is so true. So much good, so much wonderfulness in this dark, dark, dark period. I purposely joined a group my wife did also called Israel Good News Only, and it is probably my favorite WhatsApp of the entire year, life. Beautiful, beautiful stuff comes up in that group. Other groups, you know, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of difficulty, a lot of sad news, not good news. You see the difficulty around the world, people not standing up for us, many people standing up for us, but not many, but lots also not. So we want to see good things and wonderful things. You see the hope, you feel the hope, you see the wonderfulness of all these people dancing one another, real brothers and sisters around the world. The next chapter of your life can be full of blessings. You can be in Wordsworth's lovely phrase, surprised by joy. Every bad thing that has happened in life may be the necessary prelude to the good things that are about to happen because you have been strengthened by suffering, given courage by your ability to survive. Pause. Literally, Rabbi Rosner just said this on one of his quick messages to one of his groups. I just saw this a couple of days ago. Every period of, of darkness was you know, came afterwards a period of light. So every light was preceded by darkness. And he went through many different examples. I can't even remember them. One of the most obvious ones, obviously, is 1945, the end of the, the terrible, terrible period of the World War II and the Holocaust, which just three years later was the founding of the modern state of Israel. The Inquisitions, then there was a like a, a tremendous growth right afterwards of the Tanaim and the Amaraim and the Gaonim and the Rishonim. Beautiful examples. I wish I could you know, paraphrase it properly, but it's true that sometimes the prelude to the good things are not such good things. We should never know from bad things, and the suffering should end forever. But we think about the light, we think about the positive, we think about looking towards the future foresight to understand what's coming, how we could look at different times. The good things are being strengthened by the past, but looking towards the future, given courage to, for your ability to survive. That's what we learn from the heroes of the endurance, from Yosef, the times of Yosef and Mitzrayim, to the Holocaust survivors of today, and the survivors of the massacres, and the people fighting to bring good, to triumph over evil right now in the current war. People who keep going, people who have faith, people who refuse to despair, and were privileged to write a new and different chapter in the book of their lives. 
Seeing through the eye of faith, today's curse may be the beginning of tomorrow's blessing. That is a thought that can change a life. So don't have a negative hindsight bias. Realize that everything that happened is a precursor to the future. Have an optimistic hindsight as well as a hopeful foresight to the future. Rabbitson Tversky points out in H.com, Moshe, the greatest prophet known to man, asks Hashem, show me your face. Rendered as let me see up front why things happen as they do. Hashem's response, no human being in this lifetime can ever see or apprehend the meaning of my ways. Hashem did, however, show Moshe his back in intimating that it is only hindsight that will provide meaning, coherence, and perspective in life. If you want to use hindsight, use it as a bias. Use it to learn what Hashem did for you, how He helped you, how He pushed you in good directions. Use it to see the great hand of Hashem and understand where to go and to plan for the future. Dr. Miller points out on H.com the entire Purim story took place over a span of nine years. It's only with hindsight that a series of seeming coincidences, Esther becoming queen, Mordechai being in the right place at the right time, to save the life of the king and other occurrences was revealed to be part of an overarching divine plan. Nothing was the way it seemed. The very things devised to destroy the Jewish people were the instruments used to save them. In hindsight, all can become truly clear. Make sure to use that clearness to pave the way to plan properly for the future. The Daily Lift from H.com points out, Neglecting to look ahead is a prime cause of unhappiness. One who overeats disparages the value of food. A quarrelsome man complains against the blessings of marriage, relatives, and neighbors. By practicing foresight, many evils can be avoided. Rabbi Sachs also, as Atzal points out on H.com, a lesson for the Jewish people is plan generations ahead. Think at least 25 years into the future. Contemplate worst-case scenarios. Ask what would we do if. What saved the Jewish people throughout history was their ability, despite their deep and abiding faith, never to let go of rational thought, and despite their loyalty to the past, to keep planning for the future. Always have hope and use hope. Don't despair. Think ahead and dream. Really dream into the years unfolding ahead. And we think about how to go about our life, how to go about things in our life. We think about how a little bit of foresight of planning really can go a long way. Think about what you want, what you need, and plan accordingly. It can literally end up saving your day. There are a few characters in Tanakh that really we could think about, and Gemara times, that really come out to mind when we think of foresight. You think about Moshe, who had the foresight to change Yehoshua's name from Hoshea in the episode of the Meraglim. That's from Bamidbar, 13.16. Rashi says, Moshe called Hoshea the son of Nun, Yehoshua, by giving him its name Yehoshua, which is a compound of Ka and Hoshea, God may save. He, in effect, prayed for him, may Hashem save you from the evil counsel of the spies meaning that Moshe knew on some level that there might be difficulty, but he knew that maybe it was better, he thought maybe it was better for the Jewish people, might have been better to actually scout out the land, but hence he wanted Yehoshua to be saved anyway. Ibn Ezra states there that the reason that scripture states that these are the names of the men after earlier stating and these were their names is to teach us that unlike Hoshea, their names were never changed. The Talmud of Sota 34b points out, Yehoshua did not go to the graves of the forefathers because Moshe had already prayed for mercy for him, as it says that Moshe called Hoshea son of Nun Yehoshua, meaning 
from the council of the spies and this is the meaning of that which is written by my servant Kalev because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully him will I bring into the land where into he went from Bamidbar which implies that Kalev changed his mind over time Yoshua however was opposed to the intentions of the other spies from the outset you could also think about Miriam Anaviah Miriam the prophetess who foresaw to take tambourines with her and with the woman as Shemos points out, in Tetvav Chath Miriam, the prophetess Aaron's sister took a timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her in dance with timbrels. Where did they get these? Rashi's question. Well, where did she prophesy? Where she was the sister of Aaron Lund. Before Moshe was born, she said, My mother will at some time bear a son who will deliver Israel. Thinking about the future, foresight, thinking that they will be redeemed. So she had her parents come back together, and with the timbrels, with the dances, the righteous women in that generation were confident that Hashem would perform miracles for them. They accordingly had brought timbrels with them from Egypt. Mechotet Rabbi Shmuel points out. I also think of the spies of Yoshua's time versus the spies of Moshe's time and how Yoshua went about it in a different way, understanding how epic failure was the first time and how to do it better the second time. Yoshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Yehoshua to one from Shittim, saying, Go reconnoiter the region of Yericho. So they set out. They came to the house of an innkeeper named Rachav and lodged there. Some say it was Kalev and some say it was Pinchas. You can think about Sari Imenu also in it. Barashas 21, Sarah saw the son whom hunger the Egyptian born to Abram playing. It's going to be coming up this week's Barsham. She says to Abram, get rid of him. That son will not inherit with my son. I don't want him to be a bad influence. Mitzachik is making sport, the Pasuk talks about. This means worshipping idols, as it says in reference of the golden calf, and they rose up to make merry. Litzachik, another explanation, is that it's not proper conduct. And another explanation is that he wants to hurt him. He wants to literally hurt him. So you need to make sure to do so as you can. You could think of Rivka, who tricked her husband to get the rightful blessings for Yaakov. In, you know, in Barashas 27, you could think of Rachel and Leah, who they gave the signs to Leah at the time of the wedding so as not to embarrass her when Yaakov came to marry her. You could think of Yosef in Mitzrayim. He's paving the way for the Jews. You could think of Yaakov not wanting to be buried in Mitzrayim to be brought to Israel, making sure that Yosef would do it for him. Think of Moshe also taking out the bones of Yosef. He told them to do so. And you can think about the Jewish king at the end of the first temple, hiding the Aaron and other items so it doesn't fall in the wrong hands. You can also think of Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai, who also was a great example of foresight in his time, saving Torah learning itself. The story explains, and we're going to do a little bit of a shorter one tonight, but it's still a good topic. Nonetheless, the Gemara explains... How, you know, Rabbi Yochanan Mizakai, there was a lot of stuff going on, and, you know, the two factions were fighting against each other. One didn't want to fight against Rome, one did want to fight against Rome, one wants to make peace with Rome, and once one didn't want it. So in the end, you know, the, the, People burned down the storehouses. The Gemara talks about how three people could have sustained Yerushalayim for 21 years. For 21 years. But they blew it down, and it was really the nephew of Rav Yochanan. Rav Yochanan was like, what's going to happen here? They're going to destroy us. I need to do something. So what should I do? He actually asked his nephew, the head of the Zealots, what to do. And... He, he asked advice and they pretended to be dead. They took like a carcass, put it next to him in the, in the casket, and he pretended to be, to, to be dead, and they, they were, wanted to shake him and poke him, but it wasn't 
then it wasn't like honorsome for him and then he goes to the almost emperor and he he talks to him and the emperor wants to kill him and he says no you are the emperor and then a, sage, a message comes explaining that he is the emperor and he has asked for three things he asked Rabbi Yochanan what do you want for three things and some sages say he could have asked for anything but but Rabbi Yochanan said to save Yavin and its sages spare the dynasty of Rabbi Gamliel to keep the royal line alive of, of Yehuda and do not and give a doctor for Absodic who would fast for like 40 years to have the fate of the Jewish people change. So Rabbi Yochanan had the idea, the foresight to save Torah and the royal line in a real life but realistic fashion in that time. Different people, you know, you can think about how to have foresight. What can you do in this life? Think about having foresight. Think about having hindsight. Think about what you can do in this life. We have the power to have proper hindsight, to understand what we're looking at in the past, we have to take proper precautions for the future, proper safety methods to ensure the proper protection of ourselves and those around us. Think ahead what can be planned and mapped out in life. What can you do to help the brothers, the sisters in Eretz Yisrael? What we can do to to provide for them? What could we do? How can we look back to see what what did work in life, what didn't work in life? Think about how we could do different practical levels to help our people and the people all around us. And hopefully we should be Zolcha to have a wonderful life where we're Zolcha to see Mashiach speedily in our days and may then in fact be today. This has been Tani Talks Radio where we talk a topic for the week for the audience member to keep joining us here next time here on Tani Talks Radio and I'm your host Tani.